You know, we just finished our big marriage series, and some of you probably went back home and you said, I'm going to put these principles into practice, and I don't know, it just kind of like, you know, all the, the joy and excitement just kind of faded somehow during the week, you know, and, and you, you thought, I don't know if I even really want to do this. I don't know if I really feel this at all. I don't know if I even have the power to do it. Well, I want to talk to you about how to live the normal Christian life. And it's a life of abundance. It's a life of power. But what I love about the Apostle Paul is that in the book of Ephesians, he kind of takes this 30,000 uh, foot view of, of what it's all about and what God's doing and how Jesus is seated on the great throne of the universe. And everything really revolves around him. But then in Ephesians chapter 5, kind of like Google Maps, you know, he, you see the world out there and then you kind of hone in a little bit and you see the United States and then you move in a little closer and, and you see Texas and a little closer and there's Houston and then you move up in the northwest of Houston there and there's Cyprus and then you see Fairfield and then you get all the way down and you see your yard and there you are waving up, you know, in your yard. And it's, it's crazy how focused in you can get that's what Paul does in Ephesians chapter 5 he says I want to take a, a day in fact even more than that a moment a little cross-section of the life of a believer and the way it's supposed to look and, and the way that God brings power to it the sustaining kind of power to be and to do what he's asked us to be and do and, and the, to be the person that we've dreamed of being under him so, so let's look at that. Pull out your sermon notes, if you would. And I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 5. We'll look at verses 15 through 21. If you want to look at it, I'm reading out of the New American Standard Version. Um, but let's just see what Paul has to say. First, he says in verse, verses 15 and 16, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. He's got a really powerful principle here. And I want you to write this down. Time cannot be hoarded. It must be spent. Time cannot be hoarded. It must be spent. I want you to imagine with me that you won, <clears throat> maybe we'll call it the penny lottery, okay? And, and every day of your life, what was going to happen after you won this lottery, they would put 86,400 pennies in an account for you. That'd be $864, $315,000 a year. That's pretty good. But you have this 86,400 pennies, and there's only one requirement. You have to spend the 86,400 pennies in that day, or it sweeps them out of your account, and they're gone. Now, if you're anything like me, you would be meticulous about spending every penny, wouldn't you? You'd be like focused in, you would try to make sure that you used every penny every day to do something. Well, God has given you and me 86,400 seconds every day. And it really works in that same way, if you want to call it the time lottery that he's given to us. And, and every day there's 86,400 seconds and you're going to spend them. On something you're gonna spend them 
on something. You can't hoard them. You can't save them over for another day. You can't try to save up the years. You're going to spend those 86,400 seconds on something. At the end of the day, they're gone. Never to be back again. And you will have spent them on something. So Paul says, therefore, be careful how you walk. And that word careful in the Greek is so interesting because it's an accounting word. And it's a real, there's an exactness to it. It means precision. And consider with precision is what it really means. Pay attention. It's important. The little things matter. If you're an accountant, you've got to be paying attention. You've got to know little things like decimal points matter, right? You can't look and say, I don't know if that's one dot, oh, oh, that's a dollar. Or forget that decimal. Maybe it's a hundred. I'm just going to put a hundred. You're not going to last very long, are you, as an accountant, if you do that. And, and so this word comes from the accounting world. Therefore, be careful. Be mindful of the small things. Be careful how you walk. And that word walk pictures our way of life. It, it's that worked out daily, step-by-step life. In Paul's day, people didn't walk on a treadmill in the same place, you know, like we do today. That's pretty much where we get our walking in today. No, they walked to get somewhere. They walked from place to place. And and so spiritually walking pictures steady progress toward a definite goal. And, And God says, I want you to walk. Now... It says, be careful how you walk. I would have thought it would say, be careful where you walk. That's what we usually say in church today. Now, be careful where you go, what you do there. But that's not what it says. It says, how you walk. That's the supreme thing. Not where, but how. How is more important than where. Who would have thought that Aerosmith had penned a Christian song when they penned, walk this way, right? No, they didn't. But, you know, the, the, the thing is, how you walk matters. The will of God is not as much a where as it is a how. Did you know that? Making the most of your time is literally redeeming the time. To redeem means to buy back. I want you to buy back the time. I want you to exchange the time for something when I was younger growing up and used to love to go to Chuck E. Cheese and take my kids to Chuck E. Cheese you know and, and, and how many of you have been to Chuck E. Cheese yeah the pizza is horrible there why do we go there because you get tickets right you win these little tickets and it's so amazing because our, you know you'll play like that little whatever it is keep skee-ball or whatever, and, and, and then you're, you're playing that and, and you win all these tickets and, you know, you'll have like 800 tickets and then you get to go up to this little counter and you get to exchange those tickets for something amazing. If you have 800 and you look and see what you get, you get like a, a, a little plastic beetle or something, right? It, it's like nothing, but you're just so excited about it and you see the Xbox up there and it's like 25 million tickets or something. You know, 
But why do we get so excited about that? Because we can exchange our tickets. You know, a lot of us are, feels like we're kind of lined up at the Chuck E. Cheese counter of life. Because we're exchanging those seconds that we have for like little plastic bugs, you know, or something that's just not worth it. And, and, and God's going, I want you to, to, to pay attention. The Greek word here for time, it doesn't view time as clock time, which is interesting, but rather as opportunities, choice moments, choice points in life, that there are going to be these certain choice points that we have. And the word redeem implies that there's a cost. There's a cost. See, you've got to say no to some things, to say yes to the crucial. You have to say no to activities that pull you away from God's kingdom, even if they're good things sometimes, so that you can say yes to God's kingdom purposes. And then God goes on in this passage and he says, if you want to really walk accurately, you need to walk in two ways, understandingly and overflowingly. And this is where we're going to see the great truth of the power. Are you ready? So verse 17, it says this. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Basically, what Paul's saying here is recognize what's important. Recognize what matters. Success is discovering God's plan for my life and being right in the very middle of it. And God has a unique plan for each one of us. It's not the exact same plan for all of us. It's not some generic laid out thing. He created you and he gave you certain gifts. And, and there's areas that you just are really spiking as far as, as being really where your sweet spot is and he designed you in a certain way for that to happen for that to I mean, for you to live in that and I don't know if you've ever written out like a one sentence life purpose statement but I would encourage you to think about that what is your purpose what is the point of this one and only life that you have two lessons that I've learned about God's will for my life is one of them is, I can't do everything. You know, the world tries to tell us you can have it all, but you really can't have it all. You really can't. It's just not possible. So you have to decide what's important. I, I used to try to meet everybody's needs, and, and, you know, pastors are guilty of that sometimes, and, and you just wear yourself out. You can, I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not God, and I can't. So I can't do everything. But then I discovered something else. I shouldn't do everything. God didn't call me to do everything. I shouldn't do everything and neither should you. What's your purpose? You have to begin to get down and hone down to your purpose in life. What did God call you to do that's uniquely you, the one and only you? So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, the Bible says. And when we think of will, we tend to think of guidance, right? Like, God, what's your will for me? Like, you're, re you're referring to what you ought to do next. Like, where you ought to live, or who you ought to marry, or what job you ought to take. And 
God is saying, I'm not really as concerned with that as you might think that I am. What I'm concerned with is not your next guidance step, but who you are. Who you are to God is so much more important. What he's building into you. The Lord is concerned about who you are. That's the big thing. And if we are really responding to God rightly, and we're going to see this in the last part of this chapter, that, that who we are, it, it takes care of what's next. Because we're walking in God's principles. We're walking connected to him. And so God is looking at that. Keith Miller in one of his books called The Taste of New Wine, he says this, it's never ceased to amaze me that we Christians have developed a kind of selective vision which allows us to be deeply and sincerely involved in worship and church activities and yet be almost totally pagan in the day in day out guts of our lives and never realize it. We have this strange dichotomy in America that, uh, that divides life and, and says, you know, church life, we come and, and, and I mean, we're sincere and we're excited and we're worshiping and, and you just, you know, we're into it. I mean, it, there's passion about it. But then we can go out and we can live our lives in business or at home or at school in the, in the neighborhood in, in, in a totally different way, almost as if there is no God and we're not applying his principles. I see it with our student groups all the time across the country where they'll come and they'll learn God's principles. One, for example, like, don't have sex before marriage, God said. And they're going like, that's, I get it. That's what it says at church. That's what, that's right. Yes, that's right. And then they go out and they go, that really doesn't make any sense in the real world. That, nobody's doing that. That's not, that, that's not realistic. But see, God didn't give us that so that he could, like, try to deprive us of something. He's saying, I want you to live abundant life. I want you to know what it is to have abundance. And this is going to take abundance away from you. And I want you to see and know that. But we have this tendency to say, well, that's church stuff. This is real life stuff. You know, and we do it in, in so many different ways. Blindly swallowing the evaluations of and the moral codes that are propagandized from our culture and accepted by everyone without even ever asking, are they accurate? Are they true? Are they genuine? Verse 17 isn't talking primarily about whether you take this job or that job, but it's who you are. And then even bigger than that, the will of the Lord involves his purpose for everything. Are you involved in his purpose for creation, his purpose for why you're here in the first place? It's not just having a good job and, and paying the bills and enjoying comfort and fun pursuits with an occasional trip to church. Paul says, if that's your life, you're a fool. Don't be foolish. Don't be a fool. Understand what God's doing in this world. So we have to walk understandingly. We have to understand the times we live in. 
Let me just read 15 through 17 again to you as a whole. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men but as wise, making the most of your time, redeeming your time, buying back your time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The days are evil. I think if I said, hey, raise your hand if you believe the days are evil, that the vast majority of us probably would. I mean, especially after the school shooting recently, and we just are seeing things over and over and over, and it's, it's like, what is going on? I can't figure out what's happening. And it's, the days just seem evil. But even beyond those kind of things, the days are evil. They conspire against your marriage. You know that by now, right? I mean, everything in this culture conspires against you having a marriage that lasts. That's because the days are evil. I'm online, and there's just this ad that pops up occasionally, no matter what. And I promise you, I haven't clicked on it. Ashley Madison, because life is short. You know what Ashley Madison is? If you don't, I probably shouldn't tell you. But that's the place that you go to have secret affairs. And you, it's up all the time. And there's some beautiful lady or handsome man. And it's, life is short. Ashley Madison is here for you. Come on to our website and figure that out. Now, I would not suggest it. Ashley Madison got hacked about a year or so ago. And all the names spilled out. And a few pastors were embarrassed, actually. And I think that was their last Sunday. But um, their life was short. Their church life was really short. Um, but the world is always saying that kind of stuff to us. The, the world is always trying to lure us in ways that aren't conducive to having a marriage that lasts. The world is always out there to the detriment of friendships that are loyal. Don't you wish you could just find one loyal friend that didn't stab you in the back? But it's hard to find these days, isn't it? The world is out there and it's hard for your kids. It's hard for them to make it. It's hard for them to thrive. It's, it, it's hard for them to become what you're dreaming of them and they're dreaming of becoming because the world is evil the days are evil but understand this Paul says and this is where everything kind of turns on its head what he's really saying here is understand this evil days create opportunities evil days create opportunities redeem them buy them up exchange them for something it's a marketplace word it's like you go down to the supermarket and you find a bargain. Get it while it's hot because it's not going to last long. Buy up the opportunities. Redeem them. Buy up the bargains. Exchange them for something. Something that won't last for something eternal. And that's a far cry from the outlook that most of us as believers have toward evil days. We look at them as obstacles. We, we, we look at them as defeating circumstances. We, we look at them as pressures that tend basically to make us unable to be Christians. I mean, how can you really be a Christian today? That's why we have this dichotomy. It just seems 
impossible. How do we really walk in that with all the pressure of the culture around us? But Paul is saying the evil days are what this makes opportunity possible. If you were not under pressure, how could you show the world the overcoming grace of God? How would they see that if the days weren't evil? If you weren't going through the trial that you're going through, how could you ever see for yourself and show everyone around you that God is sufficient for every trial? If we're not always needing to make demands on him because it's so difficult, the days are evil, how could we ever discover that we'll never touch bottom in the resources that are his for us. It's bottomless. It's just always, it's just infinite. I remember some years ago when Laura was diagnosed with cancer. That was an evil day. The evil days had come upon us. And I just remember that I thought, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how this is going to work. She's given a 50-50 diagnosis to live. And that's where she wrote her amazing book out of that. Because she saw it as an opportunity. And I, I, she told me not long ago, the other day, even with all the residual stuff from the chemo and everything, and thank God she's cancer free and has been for what, how many years now? Eight years. That's awesome. But she told me the other day, even with all the Loss of, you know, some of her brain cells and stuff from, from and she's not quite as, as um, able to remember details and stuff like she was before. Chemo and all that stuff. She said, I wouldn't change, exchange it for anything. I learned some things about God and that evil day that I would not give up for anything. And some of you through her book and some of the things that God used her to, to put into your life, you've experienced some of the same things. The evil days create opportunities. Now, if you were in Ephesus at the time that Paul said this about evil days, you'd have gone, these days are, what are you even talking about? These are prosperous days. I mean, Ephesus was a prosperous city under the Roman Empire. It was decadent, it, it, but that, they weren't worried about that. It, it, was, it was far from God, but it was going good as far as they were concerned. Paul said it's an evil day. You know, the apostle, he's talking about reality. He's saying that material prosperity might abound, but even in the midst of that, there's this huge emptiness of soul. We have that in America today. I've never seen kids, our kids, so empty, so hungry. Uh, uh, One of the minor prophets in the Bible He talks about there's going to be a a famine in the land. And and the young ladies, the teenage girls, and the teenage boys are going to go around. And they're going to be starving. But it's not a famine for food. Because there's lots of food. It's a famine for God. It's a famine for the word of God. It's a famine for the things that matter. And you look at, at that, it's so true today. And I have such a burden for our kids in our schools, our High schoolers and our middle schoolers especially. 
We've got to reach them. We've got to meet them where they are. They don't know what they don't know. And so many of them are ready and they're hungry. And that's what Paul is saying here. They're opportunities. That emptiness, that hollowness, it presents an opportunity to demonstrate the Christian life. And then he says, I need you to also not only walk understandingly, but walk overflowingly. Listen to this. He says, verse 18, and I'm going to expound on a verse that I used last week a little bit. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. What's he say? Evil days are pushing in on you. Evil days are trying to crush you. How do you keep from being crushed? Paul says you equalize the pressure. Equal, equalize the pressure as the pressure on the outside is squeezing down on you. You've got to have something on the inside. My family, Laura and I and the kids, we lived for the last nine months or so of our mission career in Cancun, suffering for Jesus as a missionary in Cancun. And we had been in Mexico City for most of it, Costa Rica for a little bit, but then our board asked us to go to Cancun. In fact, the, the sister church that we have there, our sister campus that's there, about a thousand people attending and they're building, they're building, it's going up. Can't wait because they'll be running thousands when, when they get that building built. I can't wait for it. But that we started that church while we were there. And so it really is the mother church of this one in a sense. But in Cancun, there's these things, they call them repressurization chambers. You heard of that? Because a lot of divers are in Cancun and when you go down deep in the water, did you know that every 33 feet you go down in the water, it's another atmosphere, another 14.5 pounds of pressure per square inch. If you go down deep enough in the water, it will literally crush you. Did you know that? But divers know this. They know they get down several atmospheres deep, and, and if they hang out down there for a long time, they've got to come up really slowly if they come up too fast then they get what's called the bends and that's where air bubbles and stuff start coming out of their bloodstream because the pressure is not equalized and they have to rush them to one of these repressurization chambers put them in there and change the pressure and begin to try to save their life well that's a lot of what some of us we kind of like we have the bends right now because we don't have anything inside of us that that's that's taking care of all this pressure that's coming on us and what God is saying is, I want you to find a strength inside that you didn't know that you had. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Any time you're under pressure, God designed us so that we will try to fill ourselves with something. Some people use alcohol. Don't get drunk with wine. Under pressure, so you start to drink. And we see it in our society all the time. Why do people ever overdrink? Well, because it's really fun. No, because there's pressure, right? 
because it eases the pressure, but it's temporary. It doesn't last. And, and, and I, don't, I don't struggle with alcohol. I probably would, but I've known there's so many alcoholics in my family that I don't drink at all, uh, or that might be a bad thing for me. So instead, I try to equalize the pressure with food. You do that? I mean, when I'm under pressure, a balanced meal is having something that weighs a couple of pounds in each hand. <laughs> right? And, and we do that with so many different... But what the Bible is saying is, don't do that. What I want you to do is instead be filled with the Spirit. How can you tell if someone's filled with the Spirit? Is it because they're wild-eyed and crazy and, you know, they jump around, they're jumping over chairs and it's just... No, here's how you know that someone's filled with the Spirit. They're stable under pressure. They're stable under pressure. And if you're not stable under pressure, there's a good chance you're not filled with the Spirit. They don't cave in. They don't fall apart. Well, how do I get filled with the Spirit? Great question. I'm going to answer this as we close because this is the key to life as a believer. F.B. Meyer, he wrote over a hundred years ago, but he had such amazing things to say. He was a pastor and a theologian. He said, be filled, be filled equals stay connected to. Write that down. Stay connected to. Let me just read you what he said. He said that most people think of the spirit as a substance. To fill us like gas fills up a tank so we run out of the spirit and God fills us again but that's not the best imagery to use think about the elevated trains that you see in many large cities he's writing a hundred years ago those trains run on three rails two for the wheels and one for electricity the electricity is always there but the train doesn't move unless there's contact with the third rail touch that rail and the train moves pull away from that rail and it stops. That's what he's saying. It's always available. The third rail is like the Holy Spirit. He's always available. And, and it's not primarily an emotional experience. It can be sometimes. But it's primarily just the constant, normal, everyday Christian life. It's not reserved for a few super Christians. It, it's the way that God wants us to be. It's a command. And it's in the present tense. It's be being filled. It's God's moment by moment provision for power. And the Holy Spirit is ready right now to fill you. He's more ready to fill you than you're ready to be filled. But you can't fill what's already full. You see, and some of us are so full of our own agenda and our own plans and our own ideas about life and the, our own Desires, our own thoughts, our own things that we're going to do that we don't have any room for that. So what we have to do is we have to allow ourselves to be emptied of that. Basically to be filled, we say, Holy Spirit, I lay out all my agenda before you. I'm going to start, I'm going to move in it because that's all I know how to do right now. But you have free reign to move, to change, to do whatever you want to do. So oh, I could never do that. Well, you'll never be filled with the Spirit because that's what it requires the Bible says in the same way that you received Jesus Christ as Lord so walk in him how did you receive him you said I give up 
my life. I accept what you've done on the cross for me. I'm yours. Whatever you say from now on, you're Lord of my life. That means you're boss. I give my life. That's what it means. I accept what you did on the cross, and I give you all that I am. And then you continue to do that on a daily basis. That doesn't mean that you just sit on your couch and go like, well, God's going to tell me what to do in a minute, maybe. Otherwise, I'm just going to watch the Olympics. Right? No. You keep moving and say, God, I'm planning on doing this. This is what I've seen. This is all I know. But as I get in your word, if there's something that, about this that's not right, show me. I won't do it. If it's in his word, don't do it. It says, don't do it, don't do it. But there's so many things, should I live here or there? You know, it doesn't say, oh, look in the book of Amos. It says, move to Montana. No, it doesn't say that. Okay? Mary Rebecca. No, it doesn't say that. But here's the thing. God is saying, I've got something for you. I'll move you. I'll, if you're available, to be moved. So we need two things. We need emptiness and we need openness to be filled. And the filling of the Spirit is really as simple as that. Last verse. Always giving thanks for all things. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. That's the believer's paradox. The believer's paradox. Living in evil days and being thankful for everything. That's... That's when you know you found someone filled with the Spirit. You see a gratitude in them, a thankfulness in them to God in the midst of all that's going on. No, their life's far from perfect because it's evil days. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. You see, some pastors try to tell you if you trust Jesus, all your troubles are gone. But abundant life is not a life of no trouble. It's a life of the power of the Spirit in the midst of evil days. Could it be as simple as that? Staying connected to the Spirit? Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. When you're connected to the Spirit, what comes out? The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22 says, is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Do you think that would be a good marriage? Do you think that would be an amazing way to live if that was always just pouring out of you? That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. This is the great truth of Christianity. Why it trumps psychology. Any other religion that's trying to say Work really hard, work really hard, work really hard because you're going to fail. You have no power on the inside. Psychology said, here's what you need to do. You think, I have no strength to do it. But Christianity, God says, I have bent down to you. And when you accept what Jesus did on the cross, I actually come to live inside of you through my Holy Spirit. And if you'll stay connected to the Spirit that actually is already there inside of you, believer, you will begin to have rivers of living water flow out of you all the time and you won't be depleted. I want you to try that this week. 